0: Previously, on who killed Amy Mahalovic, a 30 year retrospective.
1: Uh, we originally took the report as a missing person and we have changed it now, uh, acting on the assumption that she may have been abducted. It's a shock. We're a very quiet, uh, safe community, and when something like this happens, it just uh, seems un- unbelievable.
0: What went on uh,
1: was a ploy that was developed and carried through, and it looked like a natural uh, action going on. It didn't look out of the ordinary at all. If anybody has seen her get into a vehicle, we need, I think, uh, that would help uh, quite a bit. We also have reason to believe that Amy left with that individual from that location and went to another area where they may have gone shopping. And that would be a mall or a shopping center somewhere in the area. We have had thousands of suspects called in to our department. Viewing all her classmates at this time, trying to get as much information as we can relative to what they saw and what they heard her say. Whoever did this was preying on, you know, this little girl and the love of her mother.
0: Early this afternoon, an anonymous caller told the FBI Amy had been dropped off at Euclid Square Mall in front of the Florsheim shoe store. Within minutes, the mall was crawling with police. They searched inside and outside, but no Amy. I just want it you know, reach out and put my arms around her and give her a hug. My instincts told me the searches wouldn't produce anything. It was just my instincts. I know they had to go through that as a part of the process. We have come to find out there was absolutely nothing regarding choir after school on Friday. Um, I I don't have any other information. By 6, Margaret called police to report Amy as missing. Tonight, Bay Village parents are keeping a watchful eye on their trick-or-treaters. It's kind of scary to think what happened. I'm glad we have our parents with us.
1: Anybody who knew Margaret well to contact us, there are things that we would love to ask Margaret that maybe Margaret would know. We're hoping that by having people who know Margaret well reach out to us that we can ask them some of those questions we would, uh, you know, ask Margaret.
0: Rather than not talking about it, we are being extremely open about it.
1: Not that we're TV stars or people that speak in public or anything like that. You just do it because it's part of your life out there. That's We need to get back, back home. For something like this to happen in a community that is seen as safe, where people go to live to be safe, I think that kind of um, situation hit home with a lot of people. For something like this to happen in a community that is seen as safe, where people go to live to be safe, I think that kind of... Um, situation hit home with a lot of people
0: live in bay village tracy Carlos news 5 nick from the true crime garage is back with us he did a bunch of guest spots on the who killed amy Mahalovic series last year and he is kind enough to join us again for the 30-year retrospective and uh thanks so much for joining me nick hello bill hello Love the show
1: thanks for having me back um and here we are 30 years later would you have imagined when you were when you were 10 uh, i would that not
0: this,
1: that this thing would have gone on for for 30 years
0: at 10 i was still under the belief that she i mean until her body was found in february of that year or later that year i was still under the impression they'd find her alive because there were so many sightings and stuff like that while she was missing and it just was one of those cases, like you'd be playing catcher ball with your buddies or whatever. And you'd be like, Oh, did you hear about the latest Mahalovic sighting? And I think even a week before she was found, I think there was even a sighting at a mall in, you know, someplace like Tulsa or something like that. And, you know, they were following up all the way up until the, that day. And uh, no, I never thought it would be 30 years.
1: Yeah. There was a, one of the sightings that stands out to me, there was um, one in Oklahoma somewhere. And I believe the woman says that she spoke with the child and, and claims that the, the girl told her she's, her name is Amy or maybe even said her name is Amy Mahalovic. I don't know. Um, I think probably just Amy, but uh, yeah, weird stuff. Now down here in Columbus, this is this is a super weird case for me because it's actually one that I was aware of when I was ten years old. Um I remember seeing the breaking news when she went missing. And to my best recollection, I believe that I was probably seeing the Monday news um after school. What you know, when they're they're saying, hey, this girl went missing on Friday, she's still missing. Um So I guess it wouldn't have, in a sense, been breaking news, but I remember seeing it after school on the news, probably that Monday. And then down here in Columbus, it was a bit different because just being two hours away, you're still a bit removed. And I don't really remember hearing much about it between the time that she went missing and the time that she was, her body was found. Um,
0: That's kind of a... You know, then I'm just to not to interrupt, but that's kind of how a lot of these cases go. Whereas right. you get that real strong pre, uh, press push right off the bat, and then mm-hmm. it dries up after a while.
1: Yeah, and locally you might have a lot of talk. You might sure. see a lot of things on the news or hear things on the radio, uh, read things in the newspaper. Now, keep in mind, I was 10, so I'm not staying up and watching the 11 o'clock news every night. I'm not reading anything other than the sports page uh so there there may have been things here uh i do remember there is a weird article and i wish that i had it and i don't know that if you and i ever spoke about it but uh there was an article in the columbus dispatch and it referenced child killings in Ohio. There was like nine of them that were unsolved at one time in the 80s. And really, and they asked, I don't know if like Ann Rule was doing like a book tour or something, but they, she was interviewed in this article uh, in the Columbus Dispatch. And she, she referenced that she thought that there was like a, a child serial killer going on here in, a, in the state of Ohio. Um, now, no disrespect to the late, great Ann Rule, but I reviewed those cases that were listed in that article, and I can't remember if Amy's was one of them. Uh, I want to say that it was, but the cases were all very different and didn't seem to have any connection at all. Um, but yeah, the, as far as things going on down here in Columbus, there wasn't much that I remember between the time that she went missing and the time that she was found. So being 10 years old, I don't know that I put much thought into it. Now, when she was found dead, look, when it, when I was 10, I was still under the belief that the good guys always won. Right. And uh, that... that that 99.9% of everybody on this planet are good people, and there's a very small percentage that are bad, and and that's still somewhat true, but not those exact numbers. Sure. Uh, uh, but I, yeah, I thought for certain that they would catch whoever did this, and not knowing what I know now, I I believed it would be relatively quick and then let's fast forward to 10 years after the crime when they released the the items that she was carrying with her that day that that were not recovered with her and, body
0: and the profile
1: and the profile and i remember with with those items being released i thought for sure boom it's any day now it's any day now that they're going to find this person and i think when we talk about this case there is so much to talk about, but I think it's important to remind everyone about those items. Uh, somebody could still have those items. We uh, we talked about on our show on True Crime Garage how sometimes a killer not only holds on to these items as a trophy, sometimes they will even give items, uh, victim items to loved ones or to friends as gifts. Right. So there There could be somebody out there that is perfectly innocent of this crime, but may remember receiving a pair of earrings as a gift or uh may have seen somebody carrying a very what I believe to be very rare uh folder that that Buick best in class folder uh, yeah, that
0: would have been only given to people that would have worked for Buick or you know i mean right. or like something you would give to maybe like your top clients or something along those lines is what I would compare that to, you know, the binder and then the, the boots. I mean, her boots weren't there either. So, right. You know, and
1: writing, writing boots are pretty unique um, from the way that I understand it. And, and what I mean by that is that I don't believe those boots were one of a kind, no. but you know, the riding boots are typically fairly expensive and they're, they are built to different specifications. Now, I don't know about 1989, but I would imagine today you can buy footwear for any hobby that you have. Uh, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about run of the mill Nike Airs or, or Reeboks here. We're talking about riding boots that would have been of a certain size and um There's not a million of those things out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know that the the boots themselves, you know, I don't think they were Uh anything too fancy as far as like high-end goes. You know, I don't think they were from like Nordstrom's or anything like that because she was just 10 and, you know, the parents weren't going to drop a lot of money on the boots. I don't think they were super high quality, but still – the fact that those were her number her favorite shoes, her favorite boots and you know, they were probably in good shape and I don't know, I just think it's one of those odd things for somebody to take
1: but, but if somebody could identify them to be riding boots oh where yeah I'm going with, where I'm going with that is like, you know I come from a, a large, large family and um, lots of friends, blessed to have lots of friends I know two people that own riding boots. One of them has horses on their property, right and then the other one is is a, a relative of that person who often rides with that person. If anybody else in my family circle or friends had a pair of riding boots, it would be it would be strange i would I would know it to be odd um, here let me ask you a question and and I, I understand you're totally unprepared for this but
0: uh, oh, go ahead do you, do you
1: do you have any reasons or beliefs why the case is unsolved are there any things that, that kind of stand out to you where you go huh this, this because you and I have agreed and we so we so for the sake of this conversation we can just move past this we've agreed that it's it's not one of those cases that hasn't been solved because of a lack of effort or a lack of uh, knowledge or resources or anything like that. They went full gusto on this thing, right? The FBI was involved within Day 24 one. hours. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's an FBI local office in that area. So in FBI agents living in Bay village, it's plenty in, of in them. Bay, yeah. in Bay village. Yeah. They're the police department is a smaller force. They're, they're more of a suburb uh, police force a child abduction and murder is not their you know not their usual um, and thank God that it's not, but I also don't find them to be keystone cops or or you know uh, I actually like
0: that. you know it's funny I actually <clears throat> think I think it was in either last week's or this week's part. I talked to Spetzel about that, Chief Spetzel, and I talk about how the Wetterling case, you can look at that case, and you can see where they they dropped the ball, where they had interviewed the guy in, they had his name in his notes, in their notes. They went and looked at the freaking car for crying out loud. right? So those situations, those are Keystone cop blunders. In this situation, Spetzel, I, like, I was like, you know, you guys... I I didn't ask it the same way you asked me as far as why I think it's unsolved, but I did ask or did make the comment that you pretty much had the best people out there working on this case that you could right away. It wasn't like something where they waited that extra day or they said, you know, you have to report the child 24 hours later. No, they took the child's, you know, missing person, Case like right away. I mean, they treated it as, as a missing endangered child. The day you know, right as right as she entered the police station. So, right and for those things to have occurred, and for no resolution to come from that, it's surprising. But in the same breath, I will say that with all that that was going on, having the FBI and the local other, you know, detective bureaus and involved. It just is one of those things that you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. They all have good intentions, but communication back in 1989 where today everything's digitized and can be pretty much pulled up by anybody at some point or another, if it's a phone company or text message or whatever, a chat message between somebody on You know on the computer That stuff didn't exist back then So mm-hmm. you know Everything was basically handwritten Tips So could a tip have <clears throat> Slipped through the cracks? Absolutely yeah. yeah. But is that at any fault to the police Or the people that were investigating the crime? I don't believe so Because there weren't enough people To have witnessed the crime To you know, to, to, to bolster any theories, like they, they had the two eyewitnesses, but they were 10-year-old kids, and Spetzel will always remember or remind me of that, like they were 10. And, and he does mention, actually, about how they, they grew up to be great kids. They, you know But eyewitness testimony, as we've known and we've come to know more throughout the years, is the least reliable of all the testimonies. I, you know, eyewitness testimony.
1: Well, and let's get into that a little bit, because that's really where my head's at right now. If you, if you look at this case, this is one of those weird cases where um, I, I can think of maybe a dozen where the composite drawing of the believed to be suspect has changed over time. Uh, it's a, I believe that to be somewhat of a rare thing. The, the first one well, let's let's do this because there there's the what I call the famous one that has yes. the image of two men on it, and they look somewhat similar, but if you really look at them closely, they look very different. If you glance at it, and if you just look at it very quickly, it it really just looks like you mean this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one that we're both holding up right now. But um, if you just glance at it. At first, it looks like you're looking Caribbean. at the same image, just one guy's wearing glasses and the other is not. Now, when you really look at it, you go, oh, these two individuals actually look quite different from one another. On top of that, there was a, a composite drawing that went out before this. And yeah, that's the like the super ugly guy. Um, and he looks like maybe a mesh of the two combined or something. I, I don't know the best way to describe that. But here we are 30 years later. And one thing that I'm sitting here and I look, I've been diving back into Amy's case for the last week or two, because on true crime garage, we're going to be talking about it again. And those episodes will be up uh, probably roughly about the same time. This one will be. And
0: yeah, you'll be able to download your shows after you, if you know your show will be out before this one drops. So
1: yeah. So where my head is r- right now with the case is, I and I've wondered this before, but it's really hitting home now on the 30-year anniversary. And we say anniversary, but it's really marking a very sad-
0: Milestone.
1: Yes. So it's not like a celebration. It's 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 a reminder mm-hmm. of this is still unsolved, that there's still a killer out there. There's still a very dangerous, evil man out there who is- for anybody listening that thinks that suspects somebody and has not put in a tip about them remember this individual will always be dangerous and will always be evil and will always be capable of doing this again and doing very very bad things so do not hesitate make a phone call report the person but where i'm at right now with this thing bill is i i i cannot get over the idea that maybe it's unsolved because he doesn't look anything like the composite.
0: And that was the big concern with the composite being released when it was released. Now Mm -hmm. that that is straight from the mouth of the chief of police. Uh, They did not want to release the composite sketch because of the fact that it seemed so generic and the fact that it was from two eyewitnesses that were kids. The reason that they did release it was because they really had nothing else to go on. And right other than the story from the friends that she was supposed to meet the guy, they had $45 to spend the two kids that told the story about her meeting the guy, aren't the same people that saw the suspect though, this, you know, these are, these are four different children um, that knew about, or the two didn't know about the meeting, but the other two had been told either throughout the week or the day of, And they went to the police station the next day after Amy was reported missing. And in the Cleveland area, they did have it on the meet, you know, within the media, the crosshairs that night. And uh, that was unusual for, I mean, it's not unusual for us to get tips at the news station and to say, hey, we're looking for this child. Um, I just think it's the fact that. It was a suburb that doesn't see a lot of crime. It's very demographically speaking wealthy and just there's a low crime rate. So it's just to see that occur in that city. And for me, I remember waking up the next day, you talk about seeing it on the news like that Monday, I would have seen it on the front page of the plane dealer the next day, because no matter what you still see the front page of the paper, even if you are going for the sports page. So, mm-hmm. you know, and so while I'm looking at the headlines, kids are going into the police station and telling them what they saw. So it's, it's, yeah, the sketch has probably been a big deterrent because Spetzel even said in our many talks, that they followed up so many lookalike leads. It was just such a waste of time and people wanted to get back at one another. You said even reference, like, you know, if a girlfriend was bad at her boyfriend, she, you know, she might call up and be like, Hey, that's, that might, that looks like this so-and-so and you know, they'd have to go and investigate it. And that's more manpower, more man hours. And I think they did spend a lot of time chasing their tail in that regard.
1: One thing I've always wondered about too, and pardon me for the speculation, because that's all I can do on this case. You know, I, I do know the case well, but there's so, we've talked about this before. This is one of those cases where there's, there's meat on the bone. There's something to chew on here. And so then your mind wanders and you start to, you start to go, well, what about this? What about this? And, um, the, one thing I wondered about, and we talked about this a little bit, was the phone call from Amy to her mother while while Margaret was still at work. And this buys the, the killer a little bit of time. There has been some recent debate if if he was – if she was in his company at the time of that call. The timelines I've seen, there's no question to me that, that he was there and uh, – orchestrating that phone call in some manner. Now I've wondered about that too. If, if they could have, because I really think that phone call only could have come from about three different sources, one, a pay phone two, a motel room or three, wherever he was going to take her. Um, And for that, and I, I know that we say, uh, what was the area code back then? Two, one, six. Correct. Okay. So, Anything within 216 area code, we're not going to be able to have any kind of log of it. But a payphone within the 216 area code, you would, I mean, they are billed as such because you are paying for that call. So, and I don't know this to be fact, but I've always wondered, like, shit, man, couldn't you have done, and a 40 mile radius is a big radius. But um, there would have only been a certain amount of time between the time he walked her away at the plaza to the time that that phone call was made. I feel like you could have done some kind of data dump or something and, and figured out a call to the trading times. Right. Maybe what, what, what uh, payphone it came from. Now, if in fact it did come from a payphone may not lead you to the killer. Um, he could have drove in any direction afterwards. But what could have possibly gave you. It's more of the trail because right now the trail ends at the, the visual trail ends at the plaza. The audio trail ends at the phone call. Okay. And then we have nothing after that and we have nothing in between. Nope. So, um, you know, the, the chief of police at the time, and I can't remember his, his name, forgive me, but uh, one interview that he was doing. And I want to this may have been shortly after the abduction or shortly after she was found, but He says outright, he's like, I would give everything that I have just for a vehicle description or for, you know, you know, a a black car, a uh, red van, you know, anything as as simple as that is, they didn't have that. Um, And if or if they did, if any of those reports came in, which we we kind of know that that some Reports like that did come in, but they obviously didn't. They followed up on them, and it didn't go anywhere. Um, yeah, the description of this guy of the killer is not great and it might have hurt the investigation. It also is a get it's a it's a cop out. It's a cop out for the person that is suspicious or was suspicious of somebody at one point. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a husband, a boyfriend, son, uncle, father, whomever. Somebody close to them that they were suspicious of. And as uncomfortable as that feeling was, it was so easy to look at the composite and go, well, I'm wrong. It can't be him. He doesn't look anything like that. I'm not calling anybody. And when you review this case and when you see Dick Wren talking about this case, when you see Phil Torsney talking about this case, and Spetzel, what they're constantly trying to remind us is we still need that call. We still need the public's help. That is what is going to solve this case. Don't let anything deter you from making that tip. Don't, don't look at the composite and go, well, it can't be him. He doesn't look like that. Call in the damn tip. Don't, don't hear something. uh, Oh, some teacher that, that moved to Florida did this. Don't hear that and go, well, I don't need to to tell anybody what I know or something that I saw, right? Because it's 30 years. They don't know who did this. They've said outright, we don't know who did this. They've had good suspects over the years, but they've, and you and I've talked about this too. If, if there was somebody that they liked for and had circumstantial evidence on, they would have found a way to bring charges against that individual. 100%. They would have had a, a grand jury hearing. They would have made people talk that haven't spoken, and they would have built a case against that person. That hasn't happened. So what that means is whoever was a suspect, whether it be in the public's eye or in law enforcement's mind, We don't have the guy yet. Now, his name might be in the file somewhere. You've seen the boxes. There's, I mean, what kind of mountain of papers is that? Uh, There's a good chance his name is in that file somewhere, but they don't have the guy. And and very likely, he's probably never been one of the top suspects, whether it be in the public's mind or in law enforcement's mind.
0: Yeah, and I know that. I mean, I, last time, last week when I spoke to chief Spetzel, I, you know, I always try to ask the question of, you know, do you feel like you're one step away from having the guy? Like you just need that one last thing. And the answer is always no, because they just, they, they're not there. They, they need the public's help. And they want to emphasize that just because something's out there in the media does not mean that it's true. And it, you know, it's, They just want everybody to know that all the people that have been reported on or suspected in this case have been thoroughly, thoroughly, you know, vetted. And it's just that it's just one of those things that if they felt like they had enough, I even asked Spetzel all about this. I said, listen, let me hear about the circumstantial case that you had, because he references a case. Bay does not have a lot of murders, but. Right um in 2001 or 2000 something like that some guy got murdered at one of the mansions on on the lake right pretty much a half a mile from the plaza where amy was abducted but yeah. they were able to pull all the phone records and do all those things and they were able to without any physical evidence they were able to prosecute get a conviction you know sent the guy to jail uh and they were able to do do that with the phone records and all that stuff and it's like i asked him i said that's just so frustrating and it has to be so frustrating for you as an investigator to know that just 10 years later you know you were or 10 years earlier you could have been using the same technology if it was available and you would have been able to catch the killer so you know we wouldn't be 30 years talking about it.
1: I also wonder too, like in the early stages of the investigation, when you referenced earlier that when you were 10, you thought they were going to find her alive somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, I think what was it just a day or two in, in they somebody phoned in a tip that she was dropped off at the Euclid mall. And they, they spent a lot of time running around in the mall looking for her. Yeah,
0: the Euclid mall comes up a couple times, and I I still have never been able to pin down what exactly the story is, if that's where they thought that she may have made the phone call from. I mean, if you know this Northeast Ohio and the city of Cleveland, to drive all the way over to Euclid, I, I mean, you're going from the suburbs to through downtown to the east side of Cleveland. Or through the East You Saturday. could get there
1: in 40 minutes, though. Sure. Sure. Uh, it, it might be a little more difficult at 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, but.
0: Um, You'd still be able to do it. You could do it. You could do it. And I, I mean, I guess where you're going with that is that that's where the suspect could have been from or that part of town because that's still the 216 area code. Yeah. Especially, you know, still to this day, but um back then for sure. But yeah, it's uh I I cannot believe that if it is the sketch that has thrown everything off, it it, it's it's a shame because you know, you really shouldn't take eyewitness testimony or eyewitness sightings like you should take you should take them with a grain of salt because of the fact that dude you bump into somebody I've been told this analogy before you bump into somebody at the mall two days ago and somebody comes up to you today and asks you, what did that guy look like? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's like, what did I eat for breakfast last Thursday? I don't know. Well,
1: and you tend to only remember things more vividly if they're extraordinary, you know, um, if if the guy was wearing a jacket that looked like something elvis would wear you would remember the jacket right. you might not remember him so much but you would remember the jacket this dude is milk toast this dude is plain jane um you know he fits into the background
0: for a reason He's, i think
1: yeah and and that's one thing that they kept saying early on in this thing is this guy would have had he would have been familiar with the area enough to know some things about the area and feel comfortable there, but he wouldn't be so close to the area or from so close to the area that somebody would recognize him um, he wouldn't he wouldn't go to the plaza believing that somebody would recognize him by by name or occupation or anything like that so that's your fine line right there and I know that's kind of a profiling thing, but I, I believe it to to be true. And to hear several law enforcement officers and agents to say that multiple times over the year years, I believe that to be true as well. The Euclid Mall thing is just weird to me, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to mention that anybody that's followed this case, I've talked to multiple people about this case that are from the area that have followed as long as me and you have. And it's one of those weird things. It comes up in conversation. Nobody really knows why it comes up in conversation. Um, it doesn't make really any sense at all, but it's always just kind of been there. And anytime that it's come up, I've heard people go, yeah, I remember hearing something about Euclid, and, but I don't remember what it is. Maybe it was the whole thing of that person calling in and saying that Amy was dropped off at Euclid Mall. And maybe, that why, maybe that's why it sticks with us and, and very likely Euclid mall has absolutely zero to do with the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and on top of that, I would say that if there were going to be going to any mall and this is, you know, this is just like the game telephone. I mean, who knows if it was Illyria or Euclid because <clears throat> Midway mall is in Illyria and that would be the more practical way, place to go. If you're going to end up taking her to Ashland because that that yeah. way you'd be going the back roads to 83 and nobody would know the wiser yeah and if i mean and it's still 216 so
1: you also got to wonder too especially that first weekend in that first week that she was missing when they're talking to individuals for whatever reason at all Those are going to be a much different interview, much different line of questioning, much different interaction than once her body is found in in February of 1990. And the reason being is you are operating as an investigator under a different level of haste. She could still be alive. You're looking for different things when you're talking to these people. And your, your line of questioning is going to be different and probably hurried because you It, it, it's like, uh, um, you know, when you when you've and I hate to say this, but what the hell, it's like when you lose your keys, you check one place real quick, and you move on to the next place, you move on to the next place, you move on to the next place until you find your keys. Same thing with this poor child. They're out there hoping to find her alive. I'm only going to talk to person X so long until I feel I can move on to Y and Z. And you wonder if during the course of that if we've talked multiple times on True Crime Garage and on your great show about this dude, this killer just got lucky on a lot of things. He's not Hannibal Lecter. He's not um uh, and you know what, why is that the go-to when we want to like, bring up like, some brilliant criminal? Yeah, Hannibal he's a, he's a he, fictional character. One, he's fictional, and he was apprehended. <laughs> he was in <laughs> prison when he comes up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, so he wasn't so brilliant. But um, yeah, this guy wasn't smarter than the cops. He wasn't smarter than the community. He wasn't smarter than the FBI. He just got lucky. And yeah. he remains lucky to this day. There's somebody out there that could end this dude's luck could end his luck.
0: Somebody knows something, and not to steal a line well, from CBC, but, you know, seriously, yeah. you know, somebody has to know something about well, and, what happened.
1: And then they found those stupid sweatpants uh, over by Holly Hill Farms in the, in the first few days and spent so much time over there for the, for the whole first week or 10 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, they went through there with a magnifying glass and a fine-tooth comb uh flying planes and helicopters over the property
0: and the pants weren't even hers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's you know like what I reference when we talk about Mara Murray on True Crime Garage or um John Binet Ramsey case. It's it's a similar situation where the police detectives whoever's responding you almost believe you're showing up to one type of crime and it, in the, in the, you soon find out that it's a, a different crime. And that, that's always very difficult for law enforcement. There are things that can be lost in those early days and early stages of the investigation. And who knows what, what could have been missed when spending so much time at Holly Hill Farms, which I don't fault the police for doing so. Or the FBI for doing so—that would be a natural place to go. Um, you know, you're you're probably working under the assumption that the abductor knew Amy and likely knew Margaret because of the phone call when he says, "Hey, I work with your mother." Um, anybody at Holly Hill Farms would have known both Amy and Margaret in some at some level, at some capacity.
0: Now that's uh, whether. That's one part that I will... I have trouble believing that there's any connection between the killer and Margaret as far as...
1: I don't think that there is.
0: Because this guy is cunning enough to make a phone call to convince a girl to come with him. I highly, highly doubt he would say, oh, and I work with your mom. He's... If he was actually connected to her, if he was actually connected to her, there's just no way. I'm mean, you're already making a, taking a chance by calling this girl at home. That's you're already breaking the law. I mean, technically, you're an adult and you shouldn't be trying right. to arrange meetings with you know underage children. I, I mean, there's a there was a whole Dateline series on this kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, but nonetheless, it's still it's like he's making a phone call. He must, I don't know. I just, you know, I was talking to the captain and we were talking about Madeline McCann and we were talking about how she had been there for five or six days at the time that she was abducted. And that would have given somebody in that area enough time if they were going to do something nefarious or there was some sort of ring in that area—pedophile ring, sex trafficking ring—that they would have had enough time to figure out a way to get to her, and yeah, I feel yeah, those, like
1: those people were following the same routine nine, day after day, right. even if it just for five or six days. It was a very similar routine every single day, and shit, it, you know, if you by the time you see it the third time, you go, oh, well, this is the blueprint for what's going to continue to
0: happen. Well, absolutely. And then the captain also mentioned like somebody at the bar could have been keeping an eye on them and communicating to somebody on the outside about, you know, they're still here and make your move. And it's just one of those, I hate to say it, but it's like there are so many sickos out there that have different desires as far as ages go and what they're attracted to and how far they'll go to get that high or, you know, get off on whatever they're getting off on. It's just, it was definitely in Amy's case, definitely something sexual. Um, so I believe it was somebody that had seen her on the regular because he knew enough to to make her comfortable. That's just the way I feel about it. I mean, there's, there's gotta be some way that he knew her in some form or fashion. Maybe it was just visually, but
1: I I do agree with that. And, and everything you're saying is similar to what some of the best and brightest FBI agents were saying about Amy's case. But then I go to this and this is one of our first conversations about Amy's case is if I, let's pretend I'm the, the, the offender, I'm the perpetrator. I'm going to, I'm going to carry out this, this plot. If I see her and decide that I'm going to, to try to take her and I have this idea that I'm going to get her to meet me somewhere. If I know nothing about her family, nothing about her schedule, just playing the the odds, I'm going to call her home shortly after school. This would be around the 3 o'clock hour. Um, this is, I'm calling at this time because I believe that her parents would still be at work. She might be home alone. That's not hard to figure out. Uh, you don't need to know the kid or parent's schedule to come up with that on your own. And then the other thing too, is the reference of, I work with your mother is so interesting to me because we've talked about this before. If in fact it's a one parent home and I don't know if she lives with mom or dad or both, I'm going to pick mom because most of the time, even in a single parent home, the child lives with their mother. I mean, you're, you're, you're playing the game. Basically you're, you're playing, you're playing the odds and you're hoping, because what you're doing in a sense is you're trying to build trust with this little girl. You're trying to get her to trust you. And therefore you have to get some things right during that conversation for her to believe you, for her to believe that you are who you say you are. Cause yeah. if you strike out, she's not meeting you.
0: No, no, I, yeah. I mean there's so many that's why 30 years it's like you can go down so many different rabbit holes and I did want to follow up with the chief on one question and that was the uh, auto mechanic that had come out a couple years later and stated that he had seen a van or you know he saw something that day and and the way that Spetzel kind of countered that was well, we spoke to him the day of, and he didn't recall any of that at the time. So, generally speaking, you have to go with what, and you you understand this, you have to go with what the the first statements are. And generally, those are the statements that are the most real and the most reflective of what actually happened.
1: Was that the... So the van thing's weird. Yeah. Is that Rick Burns? Yes. Okay. I thought Rick Burns said he saw a Pontiac Grand Prix or Pontiac Yeah, he said
0: I mean he he filled in a couple blanks that he didn't actually have, according to Chief Spetzel. And that it's not to say that he was doing anything to you know anything wrong. He just felt like it was a number of years after the fact that he came to them with these stories. Did he
1: report multiple? Did he report different vehicles at different times? Uh,
0: I know that he reported a vehicle. I'm not 100 percent sure on the exact vehicle. I know I, th- I think Renner has said that it was a Grand Prix, but again, I was pretty much told to take everything that he says with a grain of salt because of the fact that. It was so many years after the fact and he was, he was there, but your mind can fill in blanks that, you know, it's just, your mind can play tricks on you.
1: Well, and the thing is too, over time, one can believe something was important, but he obviously didn't believe I'm not, I, what I want to be clear on is I'm not calling him a liar. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is whatever he's saying may, in fact, be absolutely 100% true, but if what Spetzel is saying is true, then Rick Burns didn't believe what he's saying years later to be any of any importance immediately after the abduction. So, uh, and your, your mind can, can do that. Like you said, your mind can fill in the blanks, one, and your mind can also add weight to things that there's no necessary there's not reason to add weight to them Uh, yeah if he didn't feel like it was important that day I can't imagine why it's important 10 years later
0: thanks so much again to Nick from the true crime garage podcast for joining me this week to discuss this very special case if you have not, as I said before, listened to his show, True Crime Garage, I highly recommend it. If you are a true crime fan, you will find the banter between the captain and Nick to be well worth your time. And if you have any information regarding the death of Amy Renee Maholovic, you are requested to contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440 871 One, two, three, four, or you can contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI as they are offering a reward of up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mahalovic. If you enjoy this independently produced podcast, you can help support the show by clicking on the right hand side of Who Killed Amy com, and click the donate button or you can donate via the venmo app with my username at billhuffman3 any amount is appreciated and it really does help keep the show running if you do enjoy the podcast could you please leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to shows it will help support the show and keep amy's story in the spotlight If you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I've covered and the new shows in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. If you have any new information, again, it's 440-871-1234. The Bay Village Police Department is looking for closure, and the FBI is offering a reward. The time to call is now. So until next week, be safe. purchase necessary. VGW group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: The truth about the Haditha massacre
0: has been covered up, but not anymore.
1: I don't know, you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children.
0: What are you thinking?
1: What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood.
0: And at the center of it all is 25 year old Sergeant Frank Wuderick.
1: And me. Murder in house two a new podcast from Crowd Network.